So we're in Ephesians 4 today. Uh, we were last week also, but we're still in Ephesians 4. So if you will, uh, take your Bibles, your app, whatever you got, and turn over to Ephesians 4. And uh, uh, just so you know, I, I prefer that you keep the passage in front of you throughout the, the preaching of it. Even if you just sit it aside for a moment, uh, so that you can read it with your own eyes. So you can see what we're looking at as we walk through this passage. Because that's the Word of God, so we want to be tied to it. Uh, throughout this whole process. So in the first three chapters of Ephesians, just as a a bit of a review, uh, we learned how God has changed us for our good and and for his glory. And then uh, at the start of chapter four, we saw that our union with Christ gives us union with each other. There is this community as the people of God, as the church that unites us together. And then last week, we saw the various gifts that God gives to the church. And we saw the the great responsibility that we have to to regularly be speaking the truth and love to each other, uh, speaking scripture into each other's lives. Uh, and so today then, we're, we're going to see this contrast between our, our old way of life and, and our new way of life, um, you know, understanding that, uh, you know, the old way of life anyway was before God graciously redeemed us from our sin. And we're going to see our our new way of life as the adopted children of God, as Holy Spirit-enabled disciples of Christ. Uh, And so we're going to read the passage, and then we're going to look at it in two perspectives there. Um, First, who you were in sin, and second, who you are in in Christ. And we'll look at that in in that way. Uh, So uh, in other ways, we'll we'll look at first the old self, and then we'll look at the new self. Uh, So follow along. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4, we'll begin in verse 17. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Due to their hardness of heart, they have become callous, and have given themselves up, up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learn Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. The grass withers, the flower fades. Let's pray. Father in heaven, this is your word. And it is calling us to believe and to live out that belief in a very tangible way. But we also know that unless you permit and empower the change we are to pursue... It cannot happen. And so we ask that you apply your word to our hearts today so that we can learn to daily put off the old self and put on the new self for your glory and for our joy. Lord, teach our heads. Teach our hearts. Amen. In the book of Proverbs, chapter 26, verse 11, the author writes a strange phrase. He says, like a dog that returns to his vomit is a fool who repeats his folly. There's this human tendency 
to go back to our old ways, no matter how terrible those old ways were. I think one of the most poignant, poignant examples I ever saw of this was on a mission trip with high school seniors to Guatemala. Uh, in Guatemala City, the dump is a deep and wide pit. Two of you were there, so I see you shaking your heads. Uh, it's this deep and this wide pit. Uh, it's full of dangerous chemicals. Uh, they said it's often on fire. The city cemetery is actually constantly slowly eroding into this pit. And there's a large group of people who actually live and grow up in this, this city dump, this filthy dump. Uh, the people there are known, uh, known by the, the other people in the city as the Guajaros. Uh, I've been told it means thing of little value. So you get an idea of even the, the cultural view of this. There's a, a mercy ministry there, and we got to visit and speak to some of the people while we were there. And they work to educate these people, to help them find employment, to, uh, to really work with the children that were growing up in this dump, to give them a, a chance in life is the way they saw it. And the saddest thing that they told us in all this is that after doing this for, for many years, one thing they have found is that most of the children that they have helped, that they have educated, that they have uh, provided a, a job to, uh, still come back returning to that dump anyway, from all over the place. They keep coming back to this filthy way of life. And I was shocked to hear this, and so I asked the woman there, why, why, why would they come back? And she said, it's, it's because this is what they're used to. This is their identity. It's the way they see themselves. And so they continue to, to, to view themselves as these Guajaros long after they have left the dump, and they return to that. See, Paul's concern for the Ephesians here in this passage is that that they're returning to the old way of life as well. It might be because there's a great deal of pressure from family, from friends who, who have not become Christians and they seek to bring them back. Or maybe they've just forgotten that, that God has indeed changed them, that they're no longer slaves to sin, that they are children of God who are valued by God. And so he reminds them of who they were. He reminds them of the old self, not only so that he can encourage that they live according to their new identity in, in Christ. So if you've got your, your scripture open, I hope you do, you, you see it there in verse 17. Verse 17, he's telling them, you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. Gentiles is a, a term that scripturally is usually referring to just someone who's not a Jew. And in the case here, Paul is meaning someone who's not a Christian, though. Someone who believes in another God or someone who believes in no God at all. And he's simply saying this, hey, hey, Christian, hey, hey, child of God, stop living as though you are not a redeemed Christian. That's the simple call here. And he uses this image of, of walking. We, we've seen it before. You remember back in, in chapter 2, we saw it. It shows up in the book of 1 Thessalonians 2.12, where Paul is writing, and he says this, uh, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. See, this, this image of walking, it's about how we actually live our life. It, it could really be anything specific that we do in our life. Uh, something like using the internet or, or watching Netflix. You, know, you, you might say, do not, uh, <clears throat> do not surf the web or do not watch Netflix as the unredeemed do. That's sort of an equivalent statement here. Or pursue relationships, but do not pursue relationships in the same way that the secular do. Or, or fill it in with any aspect of your life, really just about any aspect of your life. Uh, play sports or pursue academic, uh, academic success or serve in the army. 
Raise your children, relate to your spouse, spend your money. Do these things. These aren't bad things. But don't do them in the same way that you would have done them before you knew the Savior. And his point is, you are, you're no longer alienated from God. You're no longer separated from God. You're no longer who you used to be. And then we see this, this smorgasbord of characteristics of what life was like when, when they were still Gentiles, right? When we were still Gentiles, even. He describes the condition here. Every one of us was, uh, you know, until the light of the gospel gave knowledge and melted our hearted hearts, every one of us were this. And first, they, just like we, walked in the futility of their minds. It's not a phrase we, we use too often. Now, as you hear this, I, I don't want you to hear the word futility and hear, hear it saying, you know, stupidity. It's not talking about stupidity. It's not talking about brainlessness or anything of that nature. You know, the, the truth is, many who deny the Savior, while, while being blind to the beauty of the gospel, are intellectually truly brilliant. See, futility is about being ineffective such that it's, it's ultimately useless because uh, it, it does not produce anything that's lasting in the sense of eternal. That's, that's the futility here. Um, say, say your friend, you know, has uh, invited you over, you know, asked you, hey, come and help me work in my house. I've got some stuff I need to fix. And, and you show up and you help them fix the stairs and you work on them and they look great. And, and then you paint the outside of the house. And if you're like us, he changes his mind, wants a different color. And then you paint the outside of the house again uh, and, and then you, you even build these, these beautiful cabinets in the kitchen. And, and, and just as you're, you're, you're finishing, you know, the next project, just as you're finishing installing the ceiling fan uh, in one of the bedrooms, you find out that the house is being demolished for a new highway in the coming week. See, the work in this case was futile, futile, because your friend didn't really believe the letter stating that the highway was going to be built. He didn't believe it. His house had been slated for destruction long before you ever began to, to fix the stairs. And so no matter what kind of quality, your quality might have been amazing, but the work was ultimately futile. Futile. What is the word? Futile or futile? I should know that before I do this, right? Um, point is, it wasn't lasting. It was pointless. And in verse 18 then, Paul, Paul goes on to give these two observations and two explanations about the, the Gentiles. That is, remember, the unbelievers is who he's talking about. And first he speaks of the unbelievers as being darkened in their understanding. You ever try to get around your house at night in the darkness? Suddenly walls or places you don't remember them being, tables? Inevitably you're stepping on a Lego somewhere that shouldn't be there. I mean, that's the way we, we go through the dark. And the dark is, and, and the, the reason is we simply cannot see. We simply cannot know what's there. That's Paul's point here. It sounds like such an insult, doesn't it? But, but that's his point. They, they can't see. They can't see the eternal truths of the scripture. That's why he gives this, this explanation. That is, he says it is because ignorance is in them. Apart from God enlightening our understanding, we simply don't know what we don't know. And so texts like 1 Peter 1, 14 and 15 are, are, are given to Christians, not to everyone, but to Christians. And, and he says here, Peter writes, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Which is a, another reason why, why we should never have contempt towards non, non-believers, non-Christians, when they sin. 
That's hard for some of us, but I really mean this. Never have contempt, but rather our hearts should break for them and our souls should pray for them. And in our lives, we should seek to show them the truth in the hope that God will give them knowledge because they, they can't see the truth. God simply hasn't revealed it to them and they have a darkened understanding. They're walking through life like you walk through a dark house at night. The second observation is that the unbelievers, of unbelievers is, uh, <clears throat> and really, remember, this is us once. Don't just think of other people, right? But they were alienated from life of God. Sin separates us from God. Sin separates for us from each other. Sin is a dividing thing in the world. And, and the explanation for this alienation here is, is given there at the end of verse 18. It says, due to their hardness of heart. And so while this, this gives us a theology of unbelief, all this, right? If you really want to break it down, it gives us a theology of unbelief. But Paul's message here is, is actually not for the unbelievers. His message here <clears throat> is for those who do believe. And his message is this. He, he's saying, don't live your life as though you have darkened understanding because your understanding is enlightened. Don't live your life as, as though <clears throat> you are alienated from God because in Christ you have union with God. So close, in fact, that you can call him father and rightly should call him father. Don't live as though you're ignorant of the truth because you have true knowledge in the gospel. Don't live as though your heart is hardened because God has given you a heart of flesh. And he goes on to say here in verse 19 that apart from faith, apart from faith, the hearts of men and women become callous. You know callous, right? Most of us nowadays, we have these really weak jobs. We don't get many calluses. But, uh, you know, calluses are those things that develop after a great deal of manual labor. <clears throat> and the idea you see there is these calluses uh, are no longer sensitive to the touch. They're thick, and you don't feel as well there. And I know, I know sometimes, you know, it, it, we wonder, how in the world can someone advocate, not only for, for the killing of an unborn child, but but also seeking to normalize the atrocity of abortion in our society. And we wonder, how, how can someone do that? The answer is right here. Now, I don't know what your views are, so you might not appreciate, but the answer is right here. They become callous, and, and because they are callous, verse 19 also says, they have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Embracing sensuality, that's sexual sins of various sorts. Um, <clears throat> which is to take a wonderful gift of God, a good gift of God, and to use it in corrupt ways. And notice here it doesn't say that they are greedy, but rather that they're greedy to practice all sorts of impurity. And the reason that Paul is saying this is that some of the disciples are going back to their old ways, right? Like the dog to the vomit, back to their old ways. And, and I'd be shocked, honestly shocked, if, if you haven't to some degree experienced this yourself. You find yourself pursuing some impurity, some sin, only to feel the weight of conviction later. You kind of ask yourself, why did I do that? You know, why, why did I say that? Why, why did I dwell on that in my mind? That's, that's what Paul means there in verse 22 here when he's saying, put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. Those sinful desires are not your true desires anymore. I mean, do you understand that, Christian? Those sinful desires are not your, your true desires anymore. They deceive you in this way. They, they promise to satisfy you, and they simply will not satisfy you. And so we take off the old self like a pair of clothing, right? Um, 
We take off the old self. You ever, you ever see someone uh, who begins to exercise and eat healthy, uh, and they get fit, and they start losing all this weight, uh, and, and you kind of think, I mean, can you imagine what they'd look like if they show up wearing the exact same clothes they were wearing when they were 30 pounds heavier or 200 pounds heavier? It'd look ridiculous, absolutely ridiculous, because, you know, they don't, they don't even come close to fitting this, this new body. And so, Christian, I want you to hear this. I want you to hear what, what Paul is saying to you. He's, he's pleading with you to have faith in you, rather, who do have faith in Jesus, uh, but maybe aren't living in the way that you should. Uh, according, you know, you find yourself living according to the old way of life, and he's saying, take off that old self, because that is not your identity anymore. That's not who you are anymore. Then I want to turn our attention here. It's an awkward turn, right? Uh, not just from taking off, not just our old self, but looking at who we are in Christ. That's the bigger part of what Paul wants to do here, is tell you who you are in Christ. We need to be reminded of this often. Um, you know, when we, when we speak of conversion, uh, of what, you know, when we become a Christian, when we come to faith, there are another number of terms that we actually use. Some of these terms are, uh, are biblical, even if they're culturally used often, something like uh, born again, right? That's an actual biblical term. Uh, some of them are unbiblical. They're just words that have been kind of made up over the years. Uh, inviting Jesus into my heart. Uh, you won't find that phrase in Scripture. Uh, but do any of you ever use this, this phrase, something along the lines of what we see here, when, when I learned Christ? I don't, I don't know if I've ever heard anyone say that, you know. When I was in college, when I learned Christ, and, and mean it as an explanation for their conversion. But that's the way that Paul puts it here in verse 20. And it makes actually a lot of sense that he does so since... 269 times in the New Testament, we are called disciples. Only three times are we called Christians. 269 times we are called disciples, and that word disciple means a learner. And so when Paul writes here, um, but that's not the way you learn Christ, it's something like when a, when a parent might say to a, a, a child later in life, right? That's not the way we raised you. That's kind of what he's getting at. That's not the way we, we raised you. His point is, you know better than this. Because they, they know what Romans 6.6 6 teaches us, tells us there in Romans 6.6. 6, it says, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. But then it occurs to him, right? He's saying this and it occurs to him. You see this. He's writing on this old paper. The eraser systems weren't real good at the time. And so it kind of just stops and, and, and keeps going. Uh, <clears throat> maybe they don't know. Maybe they really don't know. And so he adds in verse 20, assuming that you have heard about him and you were taught him as the truth is in Jesus. <clears throat> have you learned who Jesus truly is? Have you learned it from the Holy Scriptures? Not only learned it, you know, not as, as information, but, but truly believed it. Um, like, personally, I, I absolutely believe, you know those high-voltage signs, and they lock up some electrical thing behind it, and there's these huge wires going there? I absolutely believe if I grab one of those things, it's going to kill me. I'm convinced 100% I don't mess with those at all. I don't touch the fences. I don't go anywhere near them. I will die if I touch that. On the other hand, uh, we ride our bikes to school when the weather's good this time of year. And uh, right when you get to school, they're working on this construction thing. And there's this sign that says, danger, keep out. <clears throat> well, it's the door that kind of goes towards the school through the, the courtyard. Um, and like I said, they're doing this construction. And, and I've noticed, you know, everyone opens the gate that says, danger, keep out, and walks right through it. 
including us. Why? Why do we do that? You know, I mean, I understand what the sign says, right? There is something dangerous. Don't go through here. And I go right through there because I don't really believe it. It's just a sign. I don't think it actually means anything. It's just a grass patch that we can walk across. And it's worked out every day since, right? Um, when we truly believe what we learn, it changes the way that we actually do things. It, it does. Uh, in verse 23, he's describing how to put on the new self. Even before he tells us to do so, he actually describes what this looks like. He says there, be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Your minds determine where you go, how you, how you do things, right? That's, that's the reason it's, it's suddenly become illegal to text and drive. That's why. Because if your mind is, is focused on this phone, your mind is not focused on the road in front of you. It can't be. And sometimes, even as, as some of you are looking at your spouses, I see that. And sometimes, even as Christians, you know, we focus our minds so deeply on secular things that we lose focus on who Christ is and what he's done for us and the, and the way of life that he's actually called us to as disciples. And here's the thing. At the risk of sounding like a fundamentalist, I, I believe it's fair to say that most Christians spend more time um, watching TVs, more time on Netflix, more time reading books, playing video games, watching sports, whatever it might be, than they do actually time in the scriptures. And I say that. Let me also say this. Netflix is not an evil thing, but that's not exactly renewing the mind, is it? I understand a, a new show is far more interesting than, than maybe reading about repentance in Jeremiah. Uh, when you find a, a truly good show, Enjoy it. I'm not saying not to. Um, but you've got to know, you know, you've got to know that, that just like Skittles are, are not, uh, it's not a healthy thing to nourish your body with as a meal over and over again. It's just not healthy. And in the same way, also, TV isn't going to nourish your soul if that's what you are, you are dwelling or eating on constantly. And Paul, Paul writes something similar to our passage here today. Um, Romans 12.2 and, and there he's saying this. He says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. See, we some point have got to just stop agreeing to the cultural majority view of things and begin to think in, in new and in correct ways as we, we fill our minds with, with what we learn from, from God's infinitely valuable word. So then that, that brings us to our last verse, verse 24 today. It's beautiful, I love it. Put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. It's beautiful, but, but do you ever find yourself reading... Paul and just thinking, Paul, sometimes you're needlessly confusing. Why do you write the way you, you know, like, like you kind of want to pull him aside and just say, you know, Paul, wouldn't it just be simpler if, if you just say, now that you're a Christian, stop doing sinful things and let's start developing good habits. Wouldn't that be an easier way to put it? We can, this can be much simpler, Paul. Well, there's a, there's a reason <clears throat> There's an actual reason that, that Paul puts this in this seemingly confusing way. 
You see, with this, this image of putting off the old self and putting on the new self, it's, there's a reason for it. And the reason is that Christianity is not like other philosophies. Christianity is not like other religions in this way. You don't just decide to be a better man, a better woman, a better child, whatever, and, and just go about changing yourself by your own volition of will. It's, you know, if that's what you think Christianity is, then, then I've got to tell you that, that what you've learned is the heavy yoke of legalism, not the rest-giving hope of Christianity, uh, the gospel of grace. And, and so while we're comparing putting on the new self, and, and I've done this, right? You, you see the picture I have there in your outline. Uh, while comparing putting on the new self and putting on new clothes is a fair analogy, the truth is it doesn't go far enough. It breaks down. Because that's changing on the outside, and that's changing from one man-made object to another man-made object, and that's not what we're seeing here when we're being told to put on our new self. As you see in verse 24, it says, uh, and listen to this, it says, Our new self is created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. God has created this new self, this new identity which belongs to you, is yours, is you, now that your faith is in Christ. This, this wholeness of knowledge, this, this set of attitudes, of behaviors and thoughts and emotions. And, and so now in the likeness of God, we, we have true righteousness is what it says there. Not self-righteousness, but true righteousness, true holiness, which only God can give. And, and yet, this is something um, that doesn't just happen effortlessly, right? You don't just lay in bed all day and suddenly change. Um, if you did, if that's what Paul was expecting to happen, that it's just going to happen, then he wouldn't be telling them to do it. It would just be. See, we're called to an active pursuit of putting on the new self, all while knowing that it is God who does this work. Um, it's like this. Uh, it would be a foolish question if I were to ask you, um, did you make the tomato plants grow today? You'd probably look at me and like, uh, no, maybe. Because you can't do that, right? Did you make the tomato plants today? It's, it's foolish because only God can make them grow. You can't actually do that. But, but I can and I should. It'd be reasonable to ask you, you know, did you water the garden today? Right? That's an effort towards them growing. You're not making them grow, but it's an effort there. And here's the thing, we really can't ask each other something along the lines of, you know, how have you put off your old self today? How have you put on your new self today? You know, you, you might say something like, well, I was treated unfair by someone, and I, I wanted to stream profanities at him. Well, that's not good. You know, but I, I patiently, I remembered that God teaches me in Romans 12, 18, if possible, so far as it depends upon you, live peaceably with all. And I remembered that because I just read it this morning. That's the only reason I remembered it. But, you know, so I was patient and I, I sought a, a, a resolution that was far better than what my first plan was. And, and so, yes, but, you know, by the power of the Holy Spirit in me, I did put off my old self today. And it was joyous, joyous. That's a word, right? Um, so we see continuously the same idea throughout the New Testament that, that growing and godliness takes some effort. Uh, you know, even against my, you know, best wishes. It doesn't just happen. It doesn't just happen. Romans 8.13 tells us, by the Spirit we must put to death the deeds of the flesh. 
Colossians 3.5 calls us to put to death what is earthly in us, and then it lists off a number of examples. 1 Timothy 6.12 commands us to fight the good fight, right, to run the race. Um, 1 Corinthians 9.24-27 speaks of discipling the body, running the race. That's where the running the race is. Um, and, and that's why, you know, Jerry Bridges, uh, in, in one of his books, uh, he reminds the Christian, though, he has this phrase, he says, in dwelling sin needs the constant restraint of being denied its gratification. Denied its gratification. The Christian life is one of constantly learning. It's not a static life. It is constantly growing. Every time you are, you're tempted to sin and you resist, that is an act of putting off of the old self. I, I didn't say that that earned your salvation. This is a very important distinction. It doesn't earn your salvation. I didn't say that, it, that God will love you if you do. Or that God will love you more if you do. All, all I'm saying is that putting off the old self, that's pleasing to your God who does love you. And that's good for your soul, for the nourishment, for your growth, for your satisfaction even. And so then putting off the old self and putting on the new self means we fight false desires uh, for sin daily, continually. The day is not going to come when you just get to quit. Not until the Lord returns. Not until you go to the Lord. Um, And so we pursue living according to our new identity in Christ. You are a disciple of Jesus Christ. Do you hear that? If your faith is in Christ, you are a disciple of Jesus Christ. You might even think of this in terms of Jesus being with you. I know this sounds weird at first, but it's really kind of a helpful thought. You know, like, like if you see your neighbor carrying a heavy piece of furniture and you're sitting there and you think, you know what, maybe I'll go help them. And you get up and you actually go help them, you know. Uh, You might think, you know, if Jesus was with me, I could totally make sense of that. That would be a normal thing for the two of us to go and help them. You know, but say you, you open your web browser to some sketchy websites, you know, can you imagine Christ sitting there next to you? I hope not. That'd be really weird. Um, you know, and so we're seeing this and we're learning, you know, we're, we're not just putting off, though. We're not just putting off. We're also putting on. That's, uh, you know, one of the best illustrations I've ever heard of this is that the putting off and the putting on are like the two blades of a, of a pair of scissors. Each blade needs the other to function properly. Otherwise, they're, they're fairly ineffective. Uh, you know, we must be putting off the old self and putting on the new self. I, uh, I believe that this is part of our big struggle as Christians. Some of us, uh, you know, just focus uh, on one of these and, and don't do them both anymore. Uh, you might be focused on putting off the old self, but, but then they aren't putting on the new self. They're, they're not seeking the Lord and his word. They're not serving. They're not uh, others in love. They're not pursuing purity. They're just trying to resist sinful things. And, and not only is that exhausting, it's very ineffective. Others do quite the opposite. They, they think, as long as I'm kind, as long as I'm compassionate, I'm doing mercy ministry, I show up to church every week, I serve in the nursery, you know, it doesn't matter what my, my moral, my ethical practices are because of that. I can still cheat on my tax, taxes, I can still download that movie illegally. And, and here's the thing, we need these, these dual blades of putting off the old self and putting on the new self for the sanctifying scissors to work as God has designed them to work. So here's the deal. In the coming weeks, we're going to see some more specifics of this, some great specifics of what it means to put off the old self and put on the new self. It's going to be incredibly practical. I think you'll like it. Um, the next section of Ephesians uh, is really going to talk about these, these attitudes and these behaviors, right? <clears throat> Today, though, I just want to end with a, a short illustration from God's creation that perhaps, you know, I, I look at this and I think, of course, God created this. 
and they're all over the place. I mean, you wonder, is this not an intentional picture of transformation that God has put into his creation as a, as a picture of the transformation he does in the life of the Christian? Uh, the, the animal's the, the butterfly. Um, you know, the, the butterfly, it, it begins life as a caterpillar, and it marches through life consuming everything it can stuff in its face. Eat, eat, eat. You've read the book. Um, <clears throat> that's all it knows to do. It was just born like that, right? That's its natural inclination. And eventually God calls it to cover itself in a cocoon. And inside that cocoon, it turns to an absolute liquid. And then God transforms it. Absolutely transform it. It's the same creature, but it's also a new creation. A better, more beautiful, more free creature. Once it comes out of that, it flutters from flower to flower, spreading life as it cross-pollinates from one flower to the next. It, it has put off the old self and put on this new self. And you can imagine, when you think of a butterfly, how, how ridiculously foolish it would be to see a butterfly crawl around all day trying to eat leaves after it had been transformed. It'd be foolish because that's not who it is anymore. And, and you and I, if we're in Christ... We, too, have been transformed into a new creation with new desires, a new purpose, a new way of living. And so, Christian, let me, let me join Paul in pleading with you here. Be who you are now. Be Holy Spirit-empowered disciples of Christ. Because that's who you are in Christ. Be who God has transformed you to be in Christ. And do so for, for his glory and for your own joy. Well, let's pray.